The man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock podcast with your host, Dave Escuro. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and today I decided it was such a nice day outside that I would record this opening and the outro outdoors. So if you hear a wind chime or a car drive by, I think if this week has taught us anything, it's that we should take a little bit more time to go outside and touch grass. And so I'm going to heed my own advice and do just that. Now, that being out of the way, I want to introduce our guest today. Joel is one of my friends that I've had for decades, and he's one of those friends where our lives have taken us in different directions. He's originally from Philadelphia. I'm originally from South Texas. We met in Austin, Texas. He moved back to Philadelphia. I moved to Los Angeles. He moved back to Austin. And and yet, no matter where our lives have taken us individually, we've always found a way to stay connected. Uh, and I was really excited to have Joel on, on the show, not only because Joel, uh, as a lawyer, is one of the most reasonably minded people that I know, but also because he and I don't always see eye to eye on various topics as it relates to politics or spirituality or and the like. However, we've always managed to keep our relationship very civil. And I think that's a really important lesson that gets lost too often is that many times we isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves with just people who think exactly like us. And that's inherently unhealthy and can actually lead to an atrophy of our own thoughts and, uh, and our own beliefs because we're only reinforcing what we already have a bias towards. I think when we are able to find those people in our lives who have conflicting views but are able to express them in a civil manner, uh, we benefit all the much more for that. So uh, I'm excited to chat with Joel. I hope that you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And so without further ado, my guest today, Joel Rimby, Esquire. So I, I want to start this off. Well, first and foremost, as as you live in Texas and I'm from Texas, I think that we have to start this off in a proper manner. You have a Lone Star already uh, that one of your little minions brought you. I have a Lone Star, in the, even though it's 11 o'clock in the morning here in uh, California. So I'm going to pop mine open now and spill it on my microphone. And I'm going to cheers you, my friend, of many, many years. Cheers. To, to uh, this podcast, to us connecting, and to a happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. Uh, this is the National Beer of Texas. For those who of you who don't know, it it's uh, it's nothing fancy. It just happens to be my favorite. But Lone Star Beer is where it's at. Not to mention when you go up class and get the bottles, you always have the little puzzles on the inside to keep you busy while drinking. Right, and because you want you want to keep your brain sharp. That's right. You know, you know that's how you that's how you keep your your focus. Um, I want to start off with aside from our cheers, a story that I'm I'm fairly certain I've told on this podcast before. But many years ago, I think it might have been like 13, 13 years ago, maybe now, maybe more. I can't remember. Two young men were sitting in a shoe store in Austin, Texas, and we were commiserating where we were at by our late 20s, which is not where we wanted to be. And we had a conversation. I don't know if you remember this, but we had a conversation that was essentially stolen from uh, the Mike Judge movie Office Space, which was, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with your life? And in the course of that conversation, 
I recall saying something to the effect of like making movies. Like I love movies. It was like watching movies. It was when I work in movies. And I seem to remember you saying, I, I, want, I think I'd go back to school and become a lawyer. Now, yeah. now fast forward many, many moons. And here we stand or sit virtually from one another. Me, a film producer or no, a documentary award winning producer, by the way. And you are a, a lawyer. I am. Our, our destinies manifested. <laughs> oh, what was that? I never had a million dollars to do it. Now I just owe close to a million dollars right. for it. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if <laughs> that's the, that's the fine print that they don't tell you, right? Like what you, you have to spend that million dollars in order to get what you want. That's right. Uh, so I'm a big believer that that you can manifest your your desires, uh, and I think it's 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 a thing that that most people don't that don't do. Uh, we we get stuck in our sort of lots in life, and we just assume that's as gonna as good as it's gonna get, and and then we're done. We're off the train, and and life takes us where wherever it's going to take us. But um, I think you and I are proof that that doesn't have to be the case. That if you want something bad enough, you can you can manifest it. You can make it happen. Correct, correct. And I think that looks um, like many different things. You know, a lot of times people with a very A-type personality, scientific mind are going to say, oh, this energy mumbo jumbo that you're talking about manifesting. Well, like I tell my kids, if you don't if you don't like that word for it, talk about self-fulfilling prophecy. We can put it in psychology terms, too. It's the exact same thing mm-hmm. when you think about something and you want it and you you draw it to you, you manifest it to you, guess what? Without even thinking about it, you're doing the work that it takes to put you in the right places at the right time with the right skills to get what you want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find that people struggle with that a lot because I'll, I, in my later years, I've, I've definitely embraced, you know, what people may call mumbo jumbo or whatever. I, I like to look at it as the enchantment of life. You know, now whether you believe that doing ritual work or meditation is, you know, aligning you with uh, intelligences that exist on energetic planes that we can't perceive with our eyes or ears, or whether you believe that you're doing some form of self-hypnosis or some form of self-suggestion, in the end, to your point, it doesn't really matter. The, the, the results sort of speak for themselves. And, and you know, if if two young men have these relatively lofty dreams if you think about kind of where we where we came from um and they believe in it enough and they're passionate enough and they vocalize that dream that that goal then whether you know it or not whether you want to believe that it's outside forces aiding you guiding you leading you uh picking you up what was it your footprints in the sand or whether or not um you're just you're just setting your mind to a goal that you're unwilling to waver from you, you reach the same destination all the same. Absolutely. And, you know, when you start getting down, getting down into the brass tacks of it all, um, the, the breath work, the, um, the meditation, you know, I just, I just finished a book. I've been, I've been reading a lot lately, listening, I should say, I can't say reading anymore. I just listen to all the <laughs> files because it's much, much easier. 
yeah. um, called How to Change Your Mind. And it talks about psychedelics and the science behind mm. psychedelics. Um, very, very interesting book. And um, it to pull one thing out of there. They were doing fMRI scans on people who were on psilocybin, the, the main chemical in, in mushrooms that mm-hmm. causes quote unquote hallucinations um, versus people who were in deep meditative states. And guess what? The exact same brain functions were going on, whether someone was in a deep meditative state or on mushrooms um, at the same time, because what they're both doing is making your mind more entropic. It's slowing things down. It's letting you realize those things on a deeper plane, on a different plane than what you're seeing right in front of you on those different frequencies. It's amazing when you get right into it. That yeah. the supports the spiritual and vice versa. Well, and I, I've never done psych, psychedelics, although that will be changing soon. I do have mushrooms here that I am going to take, take for the first time. Um, and I didn't really get into heavy drug use. Not that I'm a heavy drug user now, but I'm a regular cannabis user now. And I didn't really get into regular drug use until my late 30s, which I feel like is a more appropriate time to sort mm-hmm. of get into it. And what I've noticed, uh, aside from the fact that it's tremendously helped my anxiety and, and my sleep, and if you remember, I... I'm terrible insomniac by nature. So it really makes a huge difference. And I mean, I'm, I'll be, I'll be tired by like nine 30 at night now, you know, because it puts me down, <laughs> but also I find myself attracted to more complex things. Now mm. I, I attribute part of this, uh, a great majority of this to the magic work that I do, the meditative work that I do. I think that when you, when you're, as you said, putting yourself in that mental state, through meditation, um, through uh, repetition of mantra or whatever you want to call it, um, your brain starts to pick up on the subtleties of life that it might have passed by. And I'm a firm believer that once it picks up on those things in a meaningful way, it's very hard to go back. You know, it's like once you take a walk down your neighborhood and explore all the cool nooks and crannies that exist, it's tough to just get in the car and whiz by it because you just know what you're missing. Right. Uh, but I also believe that cannabis does a very similar thing um, as it, as it sounds like, you know, uh, mushrooms do as well. We're in the, like I'll find myself staying up at night. Like last night is a great example. I stayed up to about nine 30 or 10 when I got tired uh, watching the Beatles documentary on um, Disney plus that Peter Jackson produced, which is excellent. If you haven't watched it, just like drops you into like the greatest band in the world's, writing process and drama and everything that's just like a fly on the wall it's super cool uh and then you know like jamming out to pink floyd and led zeppelin and just like more complicated music music that came from a time when the entire process was far more uh you know developed and and like you know listening to videos that explain second enoch and like you know uh, gnostic books from the Bible and stuff like that. Like I, you just find yourself drawn towards things that are far more complex because I, I think your mind starts to become aware of the complexities and different, um, what's the term in food, the flavor profiles that life has to offer. Well, yeah. Um, you know, you start getting into the different flavor profiles to stick with, to stick with your analogy. Uh, it's all there already. It, it, we're not creating anything new. You know, when you, when you, uh, when, when you're smoking the cannabis, when you're, uh, when you're eating the mushrooms, when you're experiencing all this, nothing's created. 
It's all, right. it's already here. It's already in mm -hmm. your mind. You're unlocking those spaces in your mind that allows you to see that which you haven't seen before. And yeah. when you start realizing that there's so much more to this world than the superficial shit that's right in front of you, and you start digging down into it, you're going to start realizing that it's much, much better to just be happy and understand yeah. what's going on than to survive on the, on the top. Yeah. Well, and look, this world isn't, isn't designed to teach you that at no level. It's not, you know? it's not at all for that. Like the moment you go into school, you're taught to pledge allegiance to a flag and you're not even of age. You're not of age to make any consenting choices, but you start doing that right away. That's fucked up when you think about it. Absolutely. Um, you know, you start being told to pick favorites. You ever, you never noticed that? Like I, you have kids. I don't know if you did that with your kids, but like, it's kind of a weird thing to start making kids like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? Which is not to say that you wouldn't naturally develop, you know, stronger inclinations one way or another. But it's kind of a weird thing that from the very, very early age, we start being taught certain ways of looking at life and dissecting life and dividing life and atomizing life. So that when we're an adult, we start living in this very rugged, individualistic sort of mentality. And we just we're only equipped with enough to like pull the levers, push the buttons and, and survive long enough for someone else to profit. And that seems to be kind of the, the whole of what life offers us growing up. And the dirty little secret is you think, you know, all you don't mm -hmm. even realize that you don't know what you don't know. And that there's more than this track that you're, you're sitting on. I mean, even something as simple as uh, sports teams, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I look at my kids and we watch very little sports in my house. We watch very little TV. You know, that's, as you uh, that's know. shocking as someone I, as well as I know you. Yes, um, we watch very little TV. Um, not to say that you know I, I still don't support the Eagles and support the Phillies. And it's funny that my kids see that, um, and without knowing any better, you know, they wouldn't know a, a touchdown from a home run. Um, mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny sometimes when that happens to me, but. They'll still, I remember my daughter at the age of uh, four looking at one of my friends from law school going, the Mets suck. And she didn't even know who <laughs> uh, you know, just that, that, that level of indoctrination that you can get even by chance, even yeah. just by being around something and not knowing that there's more to life than what's going on. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I've often joked, and it's not a joke, it's real. I've been a Cowboys fan much longer than I knew what football was. Mm -hmm. And I can, I, and one of my earliest memories was this blue. Do you remember? I don't know if they still make it for kids now. It's a plastic item, but remember those plastic sort of uh, rain jackets you used to be able to get kids. Yes. I don't know if they make them anymore, but like they were like a snap button in the front and they had like a little hood and what have you. And, um, and uh, I had a Dallas Cowboys one. The what now? Yeah. The matching boots with the matching umbrella too. I don't. I didn't have the umbrella, but I'm pretty sure I had the boots. But yeah. I, I remember it had a Cowboys, the Cowboys star on it. Yeah. And I loved that thing, and I would wear that thing all the time. And you know, being in South Texas, it doesn't rain much, so there was not a practical reason to wear it. But because I grew an affinity to it, I did. And so that that emblem, that sigil, essentially, right? That sort of the you know the star that is anyone who's even remotely understands sports or knows sports will recognize it as an emblem that represents this team. 
long before I really understood the mechanics of what football was, you know, but it gets ingrained in you early on. And then you just carries with you, no matter how terrible they are for years and years and years, the, the perpetual eight and eight team that they are, they, they, you just, you can't, it's so hard to waver from that. And the, the decision is usually coming from something that's so arbitrary and so capricious. You know, you, you mentioned your raincoat. Uh, you said earlier that you're you're going to be heading to Syracuse uh, mm-hmm. later this month to to do some filming. When when I was about eight nine years old, I got some hand me down clothes from my mom's cousin's son, sister's brother, you know, whoever I've never met before in my life. Right. One of those shirts, and I remember this as clear as day, was a navy blue shirt with orange Syracuse written across the front. From that moment on, I was a Syracuse fan. I didn't even know they were a college. I was just like, look at this, <laughs> this shirt that I got that wasn't on my older brothers. Um, I like this team. And to this day, I still have an affinity for Syracuse University. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny how those things work. Have you ever read a book called The Four Agreements? Absolutely. Okay, so you so you know where I'm going with this. It, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating as we get older looking back at the various agreements or decisions or loyalties that you formed early, early on and how many of those will stick with you when, when you sort of, again, pledge allegiance to these ideas, these thoughts, these beliefs long before the brain, your brain had developed in, in the way that we understand it to now. And, and, you know, long before you would be of, of age to give consent, in any region of the world, really, you know, four, five, six, and younger, mm-hmm. and you're starting forming lifelong bonds and decisions and beliefs based on, you know, as we've pointed out, articles of clothing, you know, things your parents say in passing. Maybe your daughter one time heard you say the Mets suck or something just in passing. Because they and do, let's be honest. But which well, sure, yeah, <laughs> valid. I mean, she's wise, wise beyond her years, but still. Um, those little things they stick in us, and then and then they get it so embedded in our brain tissue that they're almost impossible to to shake off. I mean, we will go through that period of adolescence when we we actively try to uh, rebel against our the beliefs that our mm-hmm. parents have. But I find as I'm now forty, going on forty one, that I'm starting to, in some degree. My parents are far more conservative than me, but like in some degree, I I am at least with the when it comes to the values. Like, like life values, not politics or any of that shit, but like life values, we tend to circle back around to the very things that we were, we were raised in. You do. Um, and it's, it, it can get scary. And even to take it the next step further, you know, you start looking at some of these, I call them kids. Cause again, I'm in my forties at this point now too. And uh, kids are 20 and 25 and 30 years old now. Um, you, you look at some of these kids and some of the ideals and the philosophies that, that they have that they're willing to die for, that they're willing to kill for. And you go back and you question, wait a minute, where did these even come from? And why are they so strongly held? Was it something as arbitrary as getting a Syracuse shirt when you're eight? Or is there an actual reason behind it? And I, I take this back to my daughter, uh, my 14 year old, my oldest, every, every time. And it really pisses her off. You know, she'll say, I want to, um, she give a solid example. The other night, um, her, her cutoff is 10 o'clock, right? When it's time to stop talking to uh, her boyfriend and give me the phone. It's done for the night. You can read, but no more phone time. 
And she goes, I want to push it to 11 tonight. It's the weekend. Why? Well, it's the weekend. That's not a reason. Talk to me about why you want this. Not because everybody else goes to school and they have to get up at six o'clock in the morning to go to school. So they want to stay up later on the weekends and sleep in on the weekends. You get to sleep in every day. You're homeschooled. We have a, right. we have a schedule that starts at nine. You don't need to stay up late on the weekends because you're going to stay up and, and get up just as early, just as late the next day as you would, you know, whether it be a Saturday, a Monday or a Sunday, it doesn't matter. So why, why? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'm going to give, if she listens to this, I'm going to give her an excuse to, to combat you next time because it's on a Friday, correct? Yep. Which means that she's done a week worth of work, correct? In theory. In theory. <laughs> so the argument that I would make is, yes, you're correct. Technically, as a homeschool person, I don't have to wake up at any given time. So that's not really an impact on me personally. However, what I observe around me is society treating the weekends as a treat for having worked a hard week. And because of my situation, it's not quite the same thing. But I would also like to experience that sense of the weekend being a treat for myself or a reward for a hard week's work, which I do put in. And therefore, I would like to, if if I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do, I would like to celebrate a hard week's work with an extra hour of phone time. See, and that would help me to come back with something along the lines of, would you rather have two great days or would you rather have seven great days? Do you want to work all the time to have a vacation on the weekend or do you want to make your life about what makes you happy so that all seven of those days are fantastic? And we can have that conversation. And right. what I tell her is it's not about the answer. It's about the conversation. It's about you taking the step to think about why. Why am I doing this? Why do I want this? Is it okay? Is it not okay? Do I want it because somebody else has it or because there's actually a reason? Yeah. And you know, as you know, I did this before I became a lawyer. Now it's even worse. Um, <laughs> argue your case. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. Like I, I quote my mom very often on this podcast and I, I hold her and the lessons that she taught me in high esteem. But one of the criticisms that mom is aware of that I have about the way she raised us is that she was very much a because I said so type of person. Mm. And that worked up until I got to an age where my intellect and my ability to retort sped up and that wasn't going to work for me anymore. And I can argue circles around most anyone. And so you better come with your A game or you better just be willing to let me get what I want because, uh, you know, I, I, I can I can reason and argue with the best of them. And so at a certain point, mom, I mean, and when I say a certain point, like well into my 20s before my mom just realized I'm not fucking arguing with him. <laughs> like, it's not worth it. Not He's going to, you know, we had a, we had a debate the other day. My mom was trying to tell me, I forget what we were talking about. Um, it was a political thing. I don't remember what it was, but anyways, it was some political thing. And she was trying to show me this video. I think it was about a uh, voter ID or something. And she tried to show me this video that obviously to me, the moment I watched, it, I was like, okay, this has a slant. This has a, this has a, this is an opinion piece. And I was like, and, you know, and she was like, but look, all these people they interviewed and they said this. I'm like, yeah, but th they selected which people to put on camera. You know, they could have interviewed 100 people and picked the 10 that gave them the answer that they wanted to, uh, you know. And so we start going back and forth and then it got to a certain point. And so I just start putting up data. I'm like, oh, really? You believe that? Let's look that up, you know. And at a certain point, she's like, I'm, 
she's like, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. But but it's an it's such an important trait to be able to at least rationalize and explain and conversely think about why you want something rather than acting off of emotion and impulse. Well, and, and it comes into trust then too. Are other people acting off? What are their what are their ideals? Why are they doing what they're doing? You know, you look at you look at doctors, right? Um, and you, they say this is the best course of treatment for. I'm going to use cancer. Cancer is is close to me. My wife has thyroid cancer. Um, we're uh, taking it on the chin a little bit right now because she has chosen to go um, a natural route. Uh, mm-hmm. for healing. She's, she's going to Mexico. She, she was there for three weeks. Um, back in August, she just finished her, or she just went down again for her, her three month follow-up. Um, and they said, why don't you just get the thing cut out? Right. That's gonna, that's gonna solve all your problems. Just get your thyroid cut out. It gets rid of the cancer. It solves your problem. Well, why? I, I, a kind of want that sitting in there to regulate all the things that it regulates. I have no mm-hmm. desire to be dependent upon artificial chemicals that are going into my body to do what that is supposed to do. And then, you know, you say to the doctors, why is it that you want to do this? Why is it that your route is always right here and not talking about how different things can be cured, mitigated, whatnot with nutrition, with vitamins, with X, Y, and Z. And the answer always comes back to liability because mm-hmm. of lawyers. Well, if, if I do this, I won't be held liable. It won't be my fault. And it's all about risk transfer instead of what is in the best interest. And when you start realizing that most people, not all, but most people act on transferring risk at the base level rather than on the best interest of somebody else, you can start to analyze exactly what is going on and say, is this the best thing for me or are they just transferring risk and it could be the best thing for them right now? Yeah. And by the way, both things could be true. It could be the best thing for you. Absolutely. And best thing for them. But but I think that you're on to something. And this is, you know, we were talking off air. We're going to get into this, by the way. We're going to talk about COVID, I'm sure. So if Ed, if, if you're the, if you're listening and you have a very strong opinion on it, um, just be aware that we're going to have an open-minded conversation. And I'm sure we're going to talk about a great number of things as it relates to COVID. But when, when, when it, I give that preamble because you and I, we may not have the same opinion when it comes to how to best handle COVID for ourselves personally. Well, I, um, I don't know. Maybe pretty, pretty wholeheartedly on a lot of things. What's funny how we're yeah. as good of friends as we are. I mean, you like the Cowboys. I like the Eagles. Yeah. yeah no, but listen, no one's perfect. Joe. I love you for a lot of other reasons, but, um, <laughs> but, but, the, but the problem is that everything has become an emotional reaction. You know, mm. everything has become a, a thing that we believe in because we believe in it. And what ha- and and I've said this to my wife many times. One of the big failings that I feel that this country and maybe other countries made was that they never had an open discourse about what this virus was, what they didn't know about it, what they hoped these things would do, what the downsides of doing these things might be, and what our real percentages are. Now, I've said this to you off air. I had COVID back in January of 2020. Very severe case. 
I thought, I don't want to say that I thought I was going to die, but I mentally prepared myself for the possibility of death, which is something I've never done in my life. So that should tell you how I felt. And you know me, I'm not a squeamish guy. I'm not like a scaredy cat type fella. Like if I feel that way, there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no, there is no pattern by which COVID presented itself and its symptoms to me that made sense to me or, or represented any other illness I'd ever had before. It felt very much like the virus was spinning a wheel, throwing a dart. And that's the symptom I had on that day. Mm. I, I mean, I had seven days of intense chills and never had a fever. You know what I'm saying? That makes no sense. I mean, the whole reason you have the whole reason you have the chills, and by the way, this is a common side effect, right? So, anyways, I had a very, very severe case. I mean, fortunately, I had a much more severe case than my wife did. My wife has is a, is a cancer survivor as well, cervical cancer. My wife has uh, less. It's not as bad here in America, ironically, but severe asthma. Uh, she also got it, thankfully, not as badly as I did. So, when the time came around to make a decision about vaccine or not vaccine. I said very simply, well, I've had COVID. I know it sucks. I don't want it again. That was bad. Uh, Number two, I mean, it was right up there with typhus. When I had typhus back in my early twenties, it was like nearly that bad, but at least typhus only lasted a week, not three. And uh, the symptoms made sense. I could, I could rationalize the symptoms. This was three times as long and far more erratic. Right. But, But on the same level of severity, I have a lot of, I've had a lot of vaccines, uh, in my earlier days, and I like to think that I'm doing just fine. So I'm going to roll a risk. Now, am I a virologist? No. Do I know a damn thing about what's in every aspect of it? No. Am I going to pretend to? No. Do I believe what big pharmacy says? No. Do I believe what some dork on the internet says? No. I don't trust anyone. I, 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 I certainly believe that most people have their own agenda. So all I can trust is my own self. And I, and I boiled it down in the simplest of terms. Do, do I believe the virus is real? Well, obviously, yes, because I've had it. Have I had severe adverse reactions to vaccines in the past? Not to my knowledge. I mean, maybe it made me super smart, but outside of that, there doesn't seem to be any side effects. Fuck it. I'll roll the dice. If I get a third eye in 10 years, say la vie. What are you going to do? Right? That is my thought approach behind it. Now, I think that that's, it's okay to have conversations like that and come to conclusions. I'm not as hardline as a lot of people are about stuff because you have to kind of come to something with your own rationale. And, and I feel like, and I understand it also. I understand that, like you said earlier about like the doctors and like um, curbing risk and what have you and liability. I, I get why uh, a government that runs on the labor of its proletariat would want to get people safeguarded and back to work, pulling the levers and pushing the buttons as fast as possible. And if there's some side effects, eh, deal with it later. I get that. I understand that that's very, I I have no, I have, even though I'm a pro vaccine person, I have no uh, delusions that this is being done for altruistic purposes. I think it's to get us back churning the money, right? That's my personal opinion on things. I always kind of look back at that. And I think that, and to your point earlier, someone's going to make money off of it too. So it's a win-win for them. And hopefully it's not as bad, you know, hopefully we don't have downside, you know, down the line, although who knows, truly. 
It's it but where, them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But where were these conversations? Where were these like, where were these truthisms? Instead, it was just like, you have to do this and you have to do it right away. And it's, it's the golden ticket and you get to go to Wally Wonka's factory and, and you're good to go. And, and that to me breeds distrust, which I think is where we then come to. If your doctor, your wife's doctor had said, okay, well, let's examine this. If you go the natural route, you know, X, Y, and Z are positives, but these are the tests that have been done on them. And this is the percentage of what we know and what we don't know. And there might be, you know, whatever. Or if we go the surgery route, here are the risks and here's the downsides. And yes, you're going to be on these chemicals for the rest of your life because that's what happens with thyroid removal. I've had several people that I know have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just and just lay out, lay out the pros and cons for each thing in a reasonable manner. Then I do believe that people are smart enough or have the intuition enough to make a good choice for themselves. But in the absence of those kind of meaningful conversations, you just look like you're selling me snake oil. Yep. Right. And, and there's going to be a certain percentage of people who are like, I don't know, that doesn't feel good to me. And, and, and justifiably in my opinion. Well, and we're, we're in an age right now where there is, so much information where we don't have a problem of lack of information. No. We have a problem of too much misinformation. So mm-hmm. now nobody knows which information is accurate. So the only reasonable way to go about it, in my humble opinion, is to get as much of that information as possible. Try to figure out who you can trust as an individual, aggregate that information and use it to make your own decision, which is why I agree with you wholeheartedly. The conversations need to happen. And it Mm -hmm. shouldn't ever be about, you know, should we mandate vaccines or should we not? Should we make abortion legal or should we not? Those shouldn't be the conversations. The conversations should be, here are the pros, here are the cons, make your decision. Yeah. We, you know, and, and I think that's where I get, I get pegged by a lot of people as conservative. And I disagree with that. I'm more of a stay the fuck out of my business. Um, You know, they say, Joel, are you pro-life or you're pro-choice? I said, well, it doesn't matter which one I am. It matters that I don't think government should tell you one way or the other. Are you Mm -hmm. pro-vaccine or not pro-vaccine? doesn't matter. Government shouldn't tell you either, though. So (laughs) it's a little trickier, I think, in that. And and, and by the way, I, I bring this up because this is the big this is a big pitching point, which is that it affects other people. And that's true. That is that's. That's very Everything true, right? You do affects other people, right? The what now? Everything that you do affects other people. Not in the same way. For example, when I got COVID, I strongly suspect that I got it from construction workers that were in my apartment complex at the time. Because during the time that I got COVID, as a filmmaker, I have to get tested three times a week. I have to follow strict protocols on set, N95 masks, keeping space. I mean, not only not only am I responsible to adhere to those uh, procedures. I'm responsible for enforcing them. You know, I'm a COVID certified uh, compliance officer in film. So I, I, I was very, very safe. And I've been tested, man, like 50 fucking times at this point. Like I've had a lot of, I've had far more cotton swabs up my nose than anything else that's ever gone up my nose by a long shot. And um, not nearly as fun. And, you know, so, and I hadn't gone anywhere. So then I'm trying to think through my head. And I also know that the, the, the gestation of the virus to manifest itself on a test is between two and 14 days. So I start doing the math, right? Mm-hmm. Now I passed the test on a Tuesday. 
I passed the test on a Thursday, and by Saturday I was sick. Jess, who was not testing because she doesn't work in film, uh, got started getting symptoms on Thursday night into Friday morning. By Friday, she was sick. She lost her taste and smell. And I never did, by the way. And then by Saturday, I was sick. So she and she doesn't drive, so she doesn't go anywhere. So I start breaking down, like, okay, what's the most likely scenario? Well, the most likely scenario, the only people I've had interaction with that are not following any sort of protocol are these fucking construction workers who are coughing, shouting, spitting, eating, just, you know, not washing their hands. There's no sinks. There's no nothing. No mask wearing regularly. It's the only interaction I had. So, so I do think that we do have to be mindful and, and realistic about the fact that this is not a uh, seatbelt type scenario. This is not an abortion type scenario. There is something to the fact that it's transmittable and that you could do everything right, which I believe that I was, and you could still potentially get sick that if you're in the vicinity, close vicinity of someone who is ill and, and not taking safeguards to protect those around them. That I think that's a, that should be part of the conversation that we need to not slice out because it's inconvenient, right? Mm-hmm. But I but I just think that the larger but but I still think there's a way to have that larger conversation without it being a screaming match, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'd be and 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 uh and then and then you sit down and you ponder and they're complex and they're nuanced and and there's no easy answer. And sometimes both answers suck. You know, look at the last election. That's it. And no <laughs> And nobody wants to say the three words that are probably the right answer. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. nobody wants to say that. It, it's 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 like those are those are the worst things that anyone could possibly say to any question that exists. And uh, it, it's perpetuated from such a young age and it goes out to everything. And it that's what's creating this misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. I was in the car taking, taking, uh, uh, two of my children to play rehearsal, um, before we jumped on this call and, uh, my daughter's playing the music because she's 14 and that's what she does. She wants to control the music. So she puts on something I've never heard before. And the artist, I believe it's pronounced aura, um, a U slash R a. Okay. I don't know. I say, how do you pronounce her name? And she gave me four different answers. <laughs> four different answers. Then I said, Ava, you can say, I don't know, but I think it's pronounced this way. Yeah. And that would be okay. But you're telling me it's this. And I said, are you sure? And then you gave me something else and you gave, and, and we kept going back and forth. Now I don't know what the hell's going on at all. So just say, I don't know, but I think. And yeah. now, now we're in a space. Now I know that the information that I'm getting from you could be right, could be wrong. Who knows? And if I want to know the real answer, I got to look it up. <laughs> right. And, and I think that um, – I don't know if you've come across this. I mean your kids are at the age where they're probably all over social media to some degree. But I do feel Not like really. – um, No? Oh, that's good. Keep them off. Keep it locked down on that one. Um, yeah. I'll tangent that I still hold. It's not a popular opinion, but I don't think minors should be on social media at all. I think it should be like 18 and over. I mean, just anywho. Uh, yeah, look, I, look we got through life fine without it. It'll be, you'll be okay. You know, We got through life much better without it because there wasn't yeah. photographic evidence of the stupid shit we did. That's <laughs> a valid point, which we did plenty of. Yes. Um, but but it, 
what I find in social media that happens a lot, and maybe just culture in general, but it's perpetuated more easily through social media, which is that this idea that everyone has to be an expert immediately in any given topic that they talk about. Oftentimes not earned, but, and I know that this is a term that gets used a lot, but there's, there seems to be an entitlement of expertise that, and, and maybe we all went through that again, it's not documented in the annuals of, of electronic history. So maybe if we could hop in a time machine and go look at 20 something year old us, we'd be like, wow, these kids are annoying as hell. I, I, I can almost guarantee that, Yeah. but, but, but there, but, the there's a there's a there's a virtue in saying I don't know. There's a virtue in not really knowing what the right answer is and just doing your best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because guess what? Even for you, you're now taking expectations off of you and you're freeing yourself up to do your best work. Because if you're looking at it, even from a filmmaker standpoint, or um, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about your business, um, look at it. I, I look at it from, from an attorney standpoint. If my boss comes to me and says, hey, what's the answer to this question? And I say, oh, well, I did some work on that a couple years ago, and I'll have that answer to you by the end of the day. And I have absolutely no clue about the complexity. I look like a real asshole at the end of the day when I'm like, yeah, so I got to it's going to take me like three days worth of research to dig into this because it's a pretty complex topic. And um, I, I've never actually done anything with it before, even though I said I did. Uh, you know, you, you put these expectations on top of yourself to always have the right answer when you can't say I don't know when most people just want to know. Hey, I, I don't know. I'm going to look into it for you. Could take some time. Manage expectations with people and you can have those conversations that we were talking about earlier. Look how it comes full circle. Yeah. Well, because because it, because what we see on a small scale is what plays out on a big scale, right? If you look at presidential candidates, no one ever says, I don't know. Yeah. Because there's this expectation that they know everything. And in fact, they probably know less than zero. You know, the 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 doctors, you know, we talk about uh, nutrition, right? Most doctors are, are woefully under uh, skilled when it comes to knowledge about nutrition, right? Woefully. But, but, but you'll, you'll, you'll be hard pressed to find them that will say to you, you know, what? I actually, I don't know. I don't took a two week course on that. I, I haven't spent much time on nutrition. They'll just go with the stock answer that they've been told is the, is the, um, the common answer, right? The appropriate answer. And they'll give you that. And so there are very many people in this world who go through life ingesting shit that's bad for them and, and, uh, whatever. Right. And, and it's just because no one seems willing to be to accept that they don't maybe have all the answers that at maybe even under the best scenarios, even if you're some sort of genius, the best you're going to ever be able to provide anyone is this is either my research or this is my best opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's kind of where it stops. That's where ex- expertise kind of plateaus. This is the best I've researched with whatever resources I had, or this is just my best guess uh, opinion on the matter based on, you know, my life and how that's influenced my opinion over the years. That's it. Unless you're, unless you're in that field and you're spending, you know, 10,000 plus hours on it over the last how many years you can't, you can't consider yourself an expert. You really can't when you get right down to it and you can be really good at something. Don't get me wrong. You know, I have a psychology background before I went into law school and, Mm -hmm. um, between that and uh, 
my God given intuition that, that I feel is pretty good. Um, my bullshit detector is pretty high. Uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty honed and it's great to use that with the kids. And when they come in and they give you this kind of, you know, the same thing that we used to do when we were kids, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to say, Hey, I don't like this. So you say I'm full, right. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. something along those lines, you, you back it off and you say, well, let me tell you what I really think. This, yeah. this is what's going on. This is how you feel. Uh, we have these conversations a lot. Uh, you know, as I said before, we homeschool all of our kids. Um, we, as, as Ava's hitting 14, you know, she, she struggles with the, do I want to go to school and get rid of the pros of being on my own schedule, learning what I want to learn, learning what mom and dad feel is important, i.e. reading and math, because everything else, once you have those two can be taught to yourself. Um, do I want to forego all that and go to school for the opportunity to meet 150 people that are in my class that I might like three of them? Um, and it's a struggle for her. And as 14 year old, she can't put that into words. She doesn't know what she's feeling. She just knows that she feels conflicted. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're able to have these conversations of like, do you want to tell me what's going on in your head? Or do you want me to tell you what I think is going in your head? And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. And it helps her to open up so that, cause it's a lot easier to say, yes, that's right. Yes. Dad, that's exactly what's going on. I don't want to hurt mom. So that's why I didn't say this or, um, no, no, that's completely wrong. It, I really do want this, but there's something else going on inside of me that I can't figure out. Cause again, we go back to the, I can't figure it out. We can't say that. Yeah. Well, and also, and it goes back to your trust, right? Because inevitably you or your wife or anyone is going to, when you try to project or, or presume what a child might be feeling because they're struggling with expressing themselves, it, your opinion of what they might be experiencing is going to be colored by your own experiences, your own upbringing, your own be- and your beliefs currently, right? Absolutely. Inevitably, there will be influence there. There will be uh, a bias there. So you have to form a level of trust with your given uh, in, in these sort of power dynamics for the person who's being who's conflicted to say, "No, you're 100 percent wrong." I might not be able to know how I'm feeling, but I could tell you that's not it because right. oftentimes. We're we're a pleasing society, right? We aim to please and to make the peace and to keep things docile. So uh, it's very easy for someone to say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's what I feel. When yeah. They, when they may not know, right? But again, this is where if you have these – if we develop a society where these kind of questions are the norm rather than the exception – then we start to break through some of those barriers and we start to increase the level of communication. It, it, it's, it's not so dissimilar to the way we should be communicating with our partners. Right. You know, that's it. Communication. Communication is what is really lacking. Open and honest communication is lacking tremendously throughout society. And it's perpetuating a lot of the problems that we're having. Um, and the, the, I don't know has to go both ways. You know, when I'm talking to my daughter, it's prefaced with, look, I've never been a 14 year old girl, so I don't know how you feel. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. That's all I've got. Never once was I a 14 year old girl. So I I can't tell you, I know how you feel. I don't. This is what I see. This is what I felt when I was close to your age. I don't remember what it feels like to be 14 anymore. That's been too long ago. But when that communication 
when you're able to have that open and honest communication without the fear of repercussions, yeah, uh, coming back, you know that uh, that feeling of there there's going to be retribution if I say X, Y, and Z, rather than and this is all in information seeking. This is all informative. Um, it, it puts a stifle. Yeah. And there are repercussions for what we say, right? Our opinions. Just yesterday, I had a friend online who was, um, yeah, there's some drama that occurred online as is tend to be. And they told me, uh, you're, you seem unafraid to just say what you feel. And I, I really did appreciate that because to me, I hold that in, in a, as a, as a, as a, the highest of compliments, you speak your truth. Right. Now, <laughs> I'm sure if you ask other people who have been around me in my life, they may not see it in the same manner that I do. Uh, Cause I, I might speak my mind to a fault at times. I, I do have a little bit of a, a, a lack of filter sometimes when, when it goes from the brain down the synopses out my mouth it just sort of flows but um, I, it's because I don't care what the reactions are largely. I don't, just don't give a shit, you know? And maybe that makes me an asshole to some people. And I know it does because I've been called it. I've been told it. I've been, I've been, I've experienced the reaction of, of when people think you're being a dick or being an asshole or being condescending or whatever it may be. And it sucks. It's a shitty feeling, right? All you're trying to do is speak your truth. You're just trying to speak with as much honesty as you have. And the reaction to that is the sense of being an, a jerk, right? Now, where where we're probably not spending enough time talking about is how we deliver our messages, wow. right? Well, you there know, was I think that that once said to me, maybe about mm-hmm. oh, 13 years ago or so, maybe fourteen. Do you want to be right <laughs> or do you want to get what you want? Yeah. Who said that? You said that to me, didn't you? I thought you said it to me. Maybe we said it to each other. Who knows? Maybe I don't remember. <laughs> Because I use that all the time. I always attribute to you. Maybe it was me. I don't remember. <laughs> we had we had two we had two really profound moments. It was do you want to be right or do you want to get what you want? Which I thought you told me. Um, and then it was uh, uh, do you want to feel better now or later? Do you remember that yeah. one? Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and and but you're but but again, wise young men that we were, uh, you know. As I've gotten older, I used to want to be right all the time. It was really important for me to be right, be found right all right. the time. As I've gotten older, it's more important for me to get what I want. But but even more importantly than both of those things, it's more important for me to be as accurate as I can be with the resources available to me, if that makes sense. Like okay. I, I, I care less about being told that I'm correct or right. Like the ego is not as strong in that area as it, as it would have been at one time. And I'm really more, I'd rather be corrected and then carry the rest of my days with some more accurate truth than to just, to just bully someone into having them agree with me or, or worse in some ways conniving someone into agreeing with me. Right. Those things, I think, I think 13 years ago we had about two thirds of the, of the, of the uh, formula, right. We, we missed that. We missed that third part. That that's hopefully it. now I've obtained. Well, it takes time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And but that's the thing in this society, it is we've lost. Well, I mean, it's just, it's not it's not part of our upbringing to to admit that you're wrong, to admit you don't know anything, to be willing to be corrected, 
to have uncomfortable conversations, to have very clear communication, to be willing to express oneself devoid of overwhelming emotion. I mean, you can be emotional, of course. Some topics demand it, but but oh, you know, emotion driving the conversation can oftentimes lead to to you know rough waters. Well, right, because there's a there's a huge difference between being emotional and being passionate about something, mm. and then crossing a line into uh, name calling and and bringing other people down rather than bringing yourself up. Because that's a lot of times where communication breaks down. You know, you hear people start, oh, these, uh, you know, Trumpers, these libtards, these, you know, fill in the blank with the political calling that comes in. As soon as that comes out, everybody's ears go shut and everybody goes on the defensive. Now, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you're ever going to convince somebody or change somebody's mind with facts, because I don't know that that can happen. Um, you can provide them facts and they can change their own mind. You're not going to change anybody's. Uh, but as soon as you take your message and you start bringing somebody else down, even if you're, even if you're talking shit about their beliefs, right. Mm-hmm. You're automatically silencing everything that you're saying. You you've already lost all, uh, all credence with them, all credibility with that person, because you've taken it that level, you've, you've let emotion and passion come in. And now you start name calling instead of just delivering your information. Well, and generally it's because you don't have the information to deliver. Right. When an argument one's dry, you'll just, you'll, you'll, your body and your brain will go to what it knows next, which is just to villainize the person who disagrees with them. And I see it a lot. You see it very often. Like people will like, again, I'll just use online as an example, because it's usually if you want to, if you want to highlight the worst of something, just look online. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Go on Facebook, Twitter, same thing. You know, there's a lot of people who will say there will call people for any old reason, a Nazi or racist. It's like, it's like, it's like bottom basement level of, of intellect and communication to call someone a Nazi or a racist willy nilly. And, and for those, if you, if you're listening to this podcast and your favorite internet influencer is, is, has made a following calling other people known fascist or racist or whatever, uh, you're following the wrong person because they're not very intelligent in my opinion. Uh, and I could be wrong, but that's just what my feeling is because being from Texas, being someone who for many of my years considered myself a socialist. I don't know that I care enough about politics to consider myself much of anything these days, but I'm far to the left, far, far, far to the left, right? Um, And I grew up in a relatively conservative environment. So I can either be at odds with everyone around me or I can try to have civil conversation and sway them with my words. But what I realized over time was it's less about the words that will have a swaying effect and it's more about your approach. If you're the kind of person who employs a more Socratic method of conversation, I find that people will be impressed by that, even if you have conflicting ideologies. You know, there's something there's something that is recognized in that approach that people will say, "Yeah, that I wish I could do that. I wish I could talk with that level of calmness." And I'm not saying I'm always good at it because oftentimes I can be I can be impassioned as well, but. Um, but removing this idea of conservative and liberal and, and the name calling and the villainizing and the, 
the the ad hom attacks and all that. So if you can strip all that away and just start asking each other questions, then you might still find yourselves on opposite sides of the fence in terms of your your political or your social viewpoints. But you'll probably find that you at least have earned the other person's respect. And and we we made the joke earlier that you and I might be on opposite sides of a lot of debates and. Why that is somewhat true, I, I don't think it's as I don't think it's that true, because I think that our core fundamental values align. I agree. Quite, it's it's really more of a, an approach, right? right? Than any, yeah. Like we we both know the ditch needs to be dug. How do we dig it? That's really what where there may be conflicting viewpoints on, right? Correct. But because for the most part, our conversations and maybe beer helps. Lone Star is the great equalizer. It's a great peacemaker. Should give a Nobel Prize to Lone Star. Help today. But yeah, you, you just have you have a moment to have the conversation, talk out each other's points. And again, even if you end up no in no different placement than you started, at least you'll have a better understanding of the other viewpoint and and you won't be looking at everyone as monsters hiding in corners and shadows, which I think has has become rampant in the last eight eight years, nine years, ten mm-hmm. years. Last ten years, I'd say. It's become rampant. Uh, in every corner, everyone's an abuser. Everyone's a fascist. Everyone's a libtard. Everyone's a communist. Everyone's a whatever. Fill in the blank. And in the process, what we've done is deteriorated our ability to have open and meaningful conversation, so that we realize that, like much like you and I represent, we're, we're probably much more aligned with our ideals than we are far apart. Well, because the reality too, fences are okay. Fences make great neighbors, mm-hmm. right? Um, fence, you know, it's okay to be on the other side of the fence because if the person's on the other side of the fence, they're not a monster that's hiding in the shadows of your own house. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it comes – you don't want to get too Kantian uh, in your world and try to overgeneralize everything and take everything out to to the global aspect because there's there's problems to scale with that. But at the same time, if you take your ideals and you start expanding them to the other side, um, we were talking, had a great conversation because this is what happens when you're homeschooling about um, heaven and hell. And mm-hmm. does heaven exist? Does hell exist? Um, Listen, not as good as as Ozzy with uh, Black Sabbath with Ozzy, but but still, it's getting there. But, you know, it's got its own place. <laughs> it, did, it did turn into uh, a <laughs> never mind. Um, so so we were talking talking about hell and, and, and my daughter said, you know, if, if I was the judge, you know, cause it started off with who are you to judge, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you mm-hmm. judging somebody else? Um, you know, there, there would be very few people in hell and, and, uh, Hitler was the first person out of her mouth. And before she could move on to a second person, I said, well, let's examine that. She rolled her eyes as a 14 year old will do. She's like, damn it. Yeah. Our dad. How can we, how can we examine that? I said, what, what makes Hitler go to hell? Well, all the, you know, he, he killed 6 million plus Jews, all the, gen- he was a terrible, terrible person. I said, let's take a step back. I agree with a hundred percent of what you said, but he thought that he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing what was in the best interest of the world. He was completely wrong. He was a crazy lunatic. His mind was off its hinges in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. But he was doing what he thought was right. What happens if you do something that you think was right, not nearly to that extent and how terrible that was, but what if you do something you thought was right 
and it turns out to be drastically wrong. Yeah. Does that make you a bad person or does that make you someone who made a poor decision? Well, poor, decisions, uh, uh, poor decisions are there's tears, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, getting, getting unleaded versus super unleaded, that's a bad decision. Uh, <laughs> genocide is a, a much higher scale than that. Absolutely. Uh, some mistakes are forgivable and, and some are far less, but point, but your point holds. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but where we ended up with is, you know, basically don't be a dick to people. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but look, here's another thing, you know, I think most people, I would. I wish I could say all people, but obviously that's not the case. But most people agree that like a, a despot like Hitler is a bad, bad, bad person, and this is not any sort of behavior or beliefs that one should ascribe to. However, we oftentimes, in one hand, will point and shake our finger, which we should, but we ignore the fact that we dropped two atomic bombs on Japan after they'd already surrendered. Yep. We, we 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 ignore the fact that we have uh, led how many countless coups. Uh, a cruise rather in foreign countries to our own financial benefit. Uh, you know, there's the, every, any of the risk, right? Again, right. Look back to that risk aversion and pushing risk onto somebody else. We had no risk in throwing coup, trying to throw people out of us by creating the Taliban and arming the Taliban mm-hmm. uh, in order to overthrow the government. Um, <laughs> we have none of the risk. Turns out we had some of the risk in that one a couple years later, but right. But we didn't view it at that time. But but it's but the, the reason why I want to say that your your lesson to your daughter is so important is because um, not because in any manner are we trying to justify any sort of genocidal behavior, but moreover, I think we need to be honest about the kind of behavior that we and I say we as a as a country, right? Maybe not us directly, have been a party to. You know, like yeah, I got really annoyed on Thanksgiving because that happens around family. No, I wasn't around my family. I stayed here, but but um, my family's gotten used to me playing the the Soviet national anthem at family events. At this point, I've broken them, but but um, I kept looking and seeing all these like what I call white guilt virtue signaling posts wow. uh, during Thanksgiving. Right, a bunch of gringos talking about gringo colonization. Yes, and of course, I think uh, you know it's a it's a weird thing for me who's being a person who if you look at my dna i'm part european and almost vastly predominantly spaniard and and indigenous right so like i i've always joked not joked it's not the right way to term i've often had a weary sort of humor in that you have to recognize that your your heritage is sort of built around colonization and and rape you know in right. some instances, not in always. My one of my great grandmothers and my great grandfather, they actually fell in love. She was from Spain, he was from Mexico. And so I wanna, you know, we, we gotta be careful about painting these broad brushes where like in every instance a European came and like forcefully, you know, forced themselves upon the, the the indigenous people. That's not the case in every instance, at least in my great grandmother and grandfather's situation. But but yes, there was there was a lot of horrific things that occurred in America, especially to indigenous people. I don't think anyone's denying that. No one should deny that. No. That being said, those atrocities did not occur on one day. Nope. And at a certain point, I think we need to be mindful. Are we, are we posting these things, saying these things, 
vocalizing these things to the benefit of those marginalized groups that have been unfairly treated uh, over history? Or are we doing it to shine a spotlight on ourselves to let the rest of the world know that we're one of the good gringos, not one of the bad gringos. Those gringos are over there. We're good gringos. We we hate ourselves. Like, I, I just think that that's not, on a day that is designed to celebrate giving gratitude and thanks, regardless of its historical origin, I just don't feel like that egocentric signaling has the desired effect. Like, do it. What, what happened? What about the 364 days of the year where, where there were also atrocities towards the indigenous people, right? Uh, you know, I mean, it, so it's just, it's just like, it's, it's, it's pretense. It's all this pretense that's out there instead of just, it's just openness of like realizing that that we don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> we're all just floating around this rock in the sky and we're all we could do is our best. And and yes, there have been terrible atrocities that happened over time. And yes, those have largely been whitewashed over history and and 100 percent we should learn from them. But that doesn't mean that the application of that knowledge needs to be further division amongst ourselves in this society. Well, and some mistakes can't be fixed. It doesn't matter how much you want to fix it. It doesn't matter how much you feel bad about it. Or Some things can't be undone. It can't be fixed. It, you know, on the simplest level, I ordered pizza for delivery last night for the kids because I was out with my wife uh, grocery or uh, uh, Christmas shopping, mm-hmm. ordered delivery, and I ordered it at five o'clock. I called him again at seven going, why isn't it there yet? I called him again at seven 30. Why isn't it there yet? It got there at eight 30. It can't be fixed. It doesn't no. mean that my son's hu- not hungry anymore. He had to eat stuff at home. You know, mistakes happen, right? Um, y- y- you talk about whether it be uh, the, the inquisition that came in, whether you talk about white folks and the way they treated uh, indigenous people, whether the way they treat, uh, African-Americans, whether the way they treat Hispanic, you you name it, there's people are assholes, right? Yeah. There are assholes of all races, colors and whatnot. And a lot of them are white, right? That's what this, that's where the spotlight gets shined. Uh, Let me pause you. Let me just pause you right there. Uh, I don't coming from a Hispanic background, Latino background. I don't know that there's a disproportionate number of, of bigoted people in white culture as opposed to other minority cultures because i've met a lot of racist mexicans over my days but the difference is is the power dynamic yes okay fair enough i agree um because his you know the winner writes the history right right and it's it's very one side had a bunch of ships and armor and and you know gunpowder and and the other side did not right right so you, you you get this on both sides. How do we fix this? How do we fix it and move forward? And the dirty little secret is you can't fix it. It's already been done. Like you can't undo it. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. The question is now, how do we move forward? Not how do we fix it and move forward? How do we move forward? How do we stop being dicks to each other? How do we stop, you know, looking at, you know, walking down the street and going, Oh, I'm scared here. Or no, I'm not scared here. I do you remember? I don't I don't know if you ever met Tangi or not. Um we had a conversation one time um that just it it blew my mind and opened it up 
um, that like nothing else ever did. I was talking about when uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Fisher, who was this this crazy hippie guy, uh, a couple years older than me, we went down to Philadelphia uh, on December 31st, 1999, ready for the millennium. Uh, just had a crazy, crazy time. It was amazing. Um, ended up leaving my car in the garage there overnight. I don't know how we got home, uh, but we got home some way. Ended up having to go back to get the car the next day. So we go back. And I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of time in Philadelphia, but there's a lot of one-way streets and you can find yourself mm-hmm. in a not so savory area yeah. um, very quickly. So I was telling her about a time where I was driving down, there's cars up on blocks. You could see guns hanging out of people's pants as we're going. Um, it was a very, very terrible place to be. I was scared out of my mind. I don't get scared too often. It's just two white guys, one with dreadlocks and one that's all clean cut, driving in a Volkswagen rabbit, uh, mm-hmm. eating through everything. And she was laughing at me and she goes, I understand that. She goes, you know what's funny? I wouldn't feel scared at all in that situation. She goes, you know where I felt scared? Last week, I got lost when I got off a of Mopac and wound up on Windsor and Enfield. And <laughs> so for those who, who don't know Austin, well, Windsor and Enfield area of Austin is a lot of old money. Um, yeah, very affluent. A lot of old money, very affluent. Um, and she goes, I got lost in there and I was scared out of my mind because I couldn't stop. I couldn't talk to anyone because everyone looked at me like I didn't belong there. And I was afraid that if the police got called, I would have to have a whole other conversation with them. And mm-hmm. it totally changed my thinking on race relations and how this works. I'm going, holy shit, as a white guy, I never thought about that before in my life. Mm-hmm. I just never had, never had reason to. Never had reason to stop and think about what it would be like for someone who was black, for someone who was uh, brown, for someone who was yellow, purple, red, green, uh, anyone other than the same color of most of the police officers in this mm-hmm. world. Um, and it just blew my mind and and opened me up. And, and maybe more people need to have those realizations and those conversations to understand that you do need to stop and think about this thing and and realize that you got to do your part. You're not going to do anything to change the guy down the street. You're not going to be able to do anything to change, you know, the, the people that are in the police force or any, you got to change you, you got to change you and you got to accept it and do what you can to influence, not change, but influence other people around you to make the same kind of changes. Yeah. I mean, look, you asked earlier, how do you, you know, there's some things you can't apologize for. There's some things you can't make better. And I agree with that. There's certain things in the past are done. They're done. And they will have generational repercussions that are very difficult to combat. Absolutely. The reality of it is to me, though, you're, you're, you're signaling online that you think the past was bad. Like, no shit, Sherlock. We all know what the past was bad. How about being a good person today? Because a whole lot of people that I saw uh, with their anti-Thanksgiving posts, what have you, are dicks 364 days of the year. They yeah. may not be racially driven dicks, but they're assholes to a lot of people online. The, the, in fact, I would argue that the people, I was just telling my friend this the other day, people whom on paper, my political beliefs might align with more, more directly. I see the way that they treat people. I see the way that they treat uh, other people online, people in their real life, people who are helping them. You know, we worked in a mall for many years. We know what it's like, you know, yesterday was Black Friday. We know what it's like to be, serving someone 
mm-hmm. and the way that they treat us. I see the way they, these, some of these folks treat people the rest of the year. And I think save your, your virtue signaling to, to someone who cares because you're, you're still an asshole and you're still contributing to the larger problem that you're claiming to be against in a different manner with maybe far less resources. I mean, obviously someone who's a prick to someone at the mall isn't an armada coming to, to create genocide, but at the root of it is the same driving force, right? It's like, you think you're better than someone else. You think you're different from someone else. And therefore you're going to treat them in a way that is not the way that you would, you would want to be treated and that they deserve to be treated. And I think instead of trying to flash to the world and pretending like we're, you know, these lovely people, these, um, these, these, not not even lovely people, like there'll be these super, you know, progressive people. uh, Let's just try to stop being assholes for one. Because frankly speaking, if I see someone say, oh, I'm against Thanksgiving, but calling someone a, a, a libtard or a, a calling a Republican person a, a race, a Nazi, then you're, then you're just a dick. You're just the same dick energy, right? It's the same yeah. asshole energy as those colonizers back in the day. So it, it's meaningless to me. It does, it does nothing to make the world a better place. It just contributes that division and that hatred and that lack of communication between one another you're saying you're sorry without changing your behavior you know yes what what are you instead of saying you're sorry what are you doing to change these now to bring to bring the magic back into it um you start talking about generational holds that get that that hit on people the shadows that that follow generationally you know people have these shadows inside them that have been stuck there for generations and it, it may not even be your fault you may be scared to Uh, You may be scared of success or scared of failure, and it might not be your fault. It might be something that has been trapped inside of you for generations that you need to work through before you can move past it. And for goodness sake, with the crap that – let's talk about Thanksgiving. With the crap that that the indigenous people, that the Native Americans have seen – over the years, let's round everybody up and give them this great piece of land on three acres over here in Mexico. They can open casinos. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're telling me that 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 folks that are descendants right now from that aren't still feeling those generational shadows. Get the hell out of here. Like that stuff is deeply embedded. Slavery. You hear the you hear the conservatives say, "Well, you weren't a slave." Why should we do anything to help you? Yeah, well, think about it. They're generationally speaking, that's where you're coming from. The, you you've been you've been programmed from your parents, from your grandparents, from your great grandparents, off of that set of facts that happened, yeah, eons ago, and you're still suffering from it. So it's not a question of hey, let's throw some money at it. And see if it goes away. What can I do to help heal those shadows? How can we get beyond that? How? What are these challenges that folks are feeling? And and how can we liberate them? Right? How can we help them liberate themselves from these shadows that are holding them back? That are that are forcing them to go in one direction or another? Um, we felt it. You and I felt it. You know we. 14 years ago, we're sitting there. This is our lot in life. We're really yeah. good at what we do, right? And we were accepting, you know, for how many years did we sit there and throw away prime years of our lives, accepting good at the cost of great? Yeah. 
Well, and look, not only that, I don't want to ignore the fact that there's obviously institutional reasons that also help marginalized group or not help that that also keep marginalized groups in a in a position of of disadvantage. I mean, it's not strictly internalized traumas, but I've I've as I gotten older, I feel like I approached the idea of fixing the world from a wrong from the wrong standpoint in that I think when you're younger, you, you want to attack and change the world from the, from, from a macro level inward. Mm. And I think that that's, um, I just don't think it's effective. You know, I, I hear, I have friends still and talk about the revolution, right? We're going to have a revolution bro. they have fucking lasers and satellites and, and drones and shit. What the hell are you going to do with your Glock? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not going to happen. Like, that's just, I mean, what, what would happen if there was a mass uprising of people is I think that a lot of people would die. And and I don't think that the proletariat are going to win that in this current age. This is not the age where farmers could rise up with like sickles and swords and overthrow a government. I think that time has passed, um, especially one on the level that America exists in. However, I do think that there is value in starting on the micro and moving outward, which is first changing your own perspective on life. Start changing internally the way that you treat people who are different than you. Stop trying to be right and start trying to learn. You know, ask more than you than you speak. You know, listen more than you talk. Who ears one mouth, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so and so if you start that process and then you start surrounding yourself with other people who have that process and then you slowly start interacting with people in your day-to-day life with that mentality i find that that's going to have a far more uh, far-reaching approach than than getting online and slacktivizing it up and talking one day of these lofty you know tanky ideals that are never going to come to to fruition you know Educate yourself and be a better person yourself. Start there and, and, and don't underestimate the impact that that can have on your community, your local community, be involved in your local community. Do you know what I'm saying? Meet your fucking neighbors. Start there, get offline, go outside, start there. And then let's start to build it from the inside out. They always say that governments and empires uh, uh, get, you know, rot from the inside out. Well, they can also become better from the inside out. Yeah. And I think that that's a that's a far better approach than than trying to attack these gigantic, enormous entities that don't even acknowledge your existence. And and they don't they don't exo- acknowledge your existence. You're not gonna you're not gonna get anywhere. It's like it's like trying to shoot at a tank with a BB gun, right? It's you're gonna waste a lot of energy on it, uh, and you're not gonna go anywhere that you're going to. Now, if just like you're saying, you start at ground zero, start with you. Accept the fact that you're not changing anyone's mind, but you can influence people. Sure, you're not, not going to change anybody's mind with facts, but they will look at the way that you act, the way that you live your life and go, I want to be like that. Look at, mm-hmm. you know, look at the term influencers, right? Look at the way that, that these folks on on Instagram and on TikTok and everything else are influencing people that are watching these videos that are, that are looking at their pictures. They have a tremendous influence over these people. Um, They tell them what to buy. They tell them what to wear. They tell them how to live. 
and they're listening to them because they want to be like them. Yeah. For no other and, reason. And moreover, having worked with in like real influencers, not like this stuff that happens on TikTok and Twitter, but like legitimate like millionaire influencers that, that got big during the boom of YouTube. It's less about what the influencer says and more about the way that they carry themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the part that influences people. The people see, you know, people see something like the Kardashians, okay? And I don't think that anyone's blown away by Kim Kardashian's thoughts on world peace and how to solve uh, world hunger. But what they do see is her fancy clothes. They see her cosmetic surgery. They see her cars. They see the, the purses. They see all those things that are enticing to someone who's coming from you know, uh, a, a much less uh, less fortunate position financially, and it's attractive. And so that's the influence. And then what they hear is the subliminal messaging that will that will further warp the way your mind thinks, right? So the most it, it, this has always been the case. Movie stars are very good looking for a reason, right? right. Because it's because it's a it's a visual medium, and that's what people are drawn towards, you know. Um, so there's a reason why recording this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> audio only. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a reason why more people know who Kim Kardashian is than Noam Chomsky. Right. That's it. It's just so, so we well, have to be mindful. Donald Trump won the election. Exactly. Exactly. People, people really, get confused about that. And, and because they don't like him reasonably, uh, they, they also unreasonably take away the, the virtues by which he won that election and, and undermine the intelligence that it took to, to, to approach a presidential election in the manner that he did is a very skillful. I don't agree with the politics or the behavior, but um, using simple language. I was just reading an article the other day about how simple language is actually far more effective in influencing people than big, complicated words, yes. especially if you're not comfortable with them. Short terminology, often repeated, loudly repeated, will have a far l- longer lasting impact on someone than a lot of complexity just because our brains are lazy by nature. They, they just are. Yeah. And so they will cling to the things that are easy to digest. And, and something like a Make America Great Again – as as rudderless and toothless and in, in as it might be a, a phrase, or much less a political policy, um, it's stuck. It's stuck in people's minds because they all they knew was I don't like the way things are now. I kind of romanticize the past because that's what happens as you get older, and so if you're going to tell me we're going to go back to that time period, I'm for this. There will be a certain subsection, a large subsection. That will follow that train of thought, right? He was also the only politician in that election uh, of the two, the big two, that was talking about the economy in a in a in a negative manner, right? Mm-hmm. You had your Clinton coming off the Obama year saying everything is great and there's nothing to see here. It's like that scene from uh, what was it? Uh, uh, oh God, it was the detective movie, the comedy, Naked Gun. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like everything's exploding in the background. He's like, everything is fine here. There's nothing to see. You know, the economy, if people are getting progressively poorer year after year after year, no matter who's president, you have one person that's saying everything is great. And then you have another person that's saying, no, it's not, but I'll make it. Now, it's all bullshit. Even though I have no power to do that. (laughs) Right, right. Don't don't worry about that. Don't worry about the details. 
And and so there was a lot of uh, it was it's really there, it should be studied. In fact, I think as a manner of influencing a mass amount of people. Now, the interesting thing about Trump is that the techniques that he used predominantly preyed on emotions. Yes. And it's an emotional tug because, again, you're pulling on nostalgia. You're pulling on um, dissatisfaction. You're not really winning people over with a concrete plan to move forward. That, that's not even an objective. What you're doing is you're tugging on their emotional shirt and curlies to get them to react in the manner that you want them. It's puppet mastery. And but, but it, creates this, it creates this following that is mm-hmm. like a sports team almost. You, you're you're yeah. rooting for that home team. I don't know that you see it so much in California, but down here in Texas, you still see Trump 2020 signs up in people's windows, flag nope. people's pickup nope. trucks. But you know what? I do see a lot of I'm with her stickers. <laughs> You know, same, same. It's mind blowing to me. It brilliant, brilliant. Um, (laughs) And also, and and the other thing is also that people kind of sort of tying it back to the conversation you had with your daughter about like who deserve, who's deserving to go to hell and who's not, you know, in Texas, you'll still see a lot of Trump 2020 stickers. Right. I mean, there was a whole, but did you hear about that shit about people thinking JFK Jr. was coming back? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's the level. That's the level of passion, uh, you know, rooted in reality, though it may not be. The, my my favorite part is when JFK did not show up because he's dead. Um, they thought that that JFK Jr. was secretly Keith Richards. That's my favorite. That might be. I don't know that any conspiracy theory can ever top that. Flat Earth. Uh, uh, no, it's JFK Jr. is hiding as Keith Richards. That's my favorite. Wow. I missed but that. You, yeah, it was that same day. It was like because what happened was Did he didn't show up. Speed on his soul, because I mean he's got the extra souls now that Al Davis is dead. Yeah, um, yeah, he just <laughs> absorbs them. What what happened was <laughs> I think that alive. when when JFK Jr. didn't show up and everyone's got egg on their face, uh, there was a Stones concert in Dallas that night, and so I don't know who, but the fact that it, more than one person believes this is fascinating to me. But they said, no, he must be Keith Richards this whole time, even though, of course, Keith Richards is much older than him. But that's not to get facts in the way of a, a good story. You're in movies. Makeup, man. Makeup. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but 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 so funny, like so in 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 Texas, you get your Trump 2020 stickers in L.A. You get your on with her stickers. And there's and both sides think they're right. Yeah. Right. And neither side are talking. And yet I saw plenty of my liberal friends when Texas was having all those freezes, you know, just what was it last year, I guess. Yeah. Really saying some inhumane things, you know, really just lacking all compassion and empathy. And I got mad at several of my friends. I'm like, I have a newborn niece living in Austin uh, with no electricity in their home, no heat. And uh, because some other folks voted for the guy that you don't like, the piece of shit that you don't like, not your piece of shit, you're hoping death on people. You know, I see people all the time trying to back to the vaccination thing. Like people were like giggling, just giddy when when an anti-vaxxer person gets COVID and dies. Like what a shitty person you are. Yeah. You're a shitty person if you think that. If you're celebrating people dying, then you're probably the problem. You know, if you're dogpiling people who think differently than you, you're a bully. You're part of the problem. You're an asshole. This is not the way to change 
anything in this world for the positive. That contributing hate or biasness or bigotry in whatever form you think it's justifiable is just contributing to the larger problems that plague this world that we're supposedly against. That's it. Well, how you to bring back agendas, right? We we look at we look at politicians generally, and we say, "Man, this person is stupid. This person is they don't know what they're doing." You're absolutely wrong. They know exactly what they're doing. Their agenda mm-hmm. is different from yours, and mm-hmm. you can't be surprised when politicians act politically. Let's be honest; um, yeah. it's going to happen. So. When when you hear the debate of, uh, you know, with COVID coming in, you, you had the welfare debate, right? Like, should who's who's getting welfare? We're safety nets and all the other buzzwords that you want to throw out there and uh, welfare queen and blah, blah, blah. And you sit there and you go, y- y- you want to get rid of all welfare, Mr. Man on the far right. You want to get rid of it all. And they're, yes, I do. What are the consequences of that to all the people that are expecting that, that are that are relying on that right now as an income, whether rightly or wrongly, they're relying on that as an income. What happens? Have you thought that far through? Because when you start pushing somebody into a corner and they have nothing else to do, what do you think is going to happen to the crime rate? You think right. everybody's going to go out and get a $7.25 an hour job to help pay the bills? It's not going to pay the bills. Right. right, they're not going to do that. They're going to go do something else, something illicit, and it's going to be a problem. So instead of saying we need to do this now, cold turkey, and just get rid of all this, why don't you come up with some fucking solutions that are positive and you know incentivize people? Right, people want to earn. People want to. Uh, get what they have come to, to work for what they have. They want that feeling. And the problem is when you say you can go back to work right now and make $500 a week, or you can sit at home and make $600 a week. That's a no fucking brainer, right? Yeah, that's just being smart. Right. Like you can't fault somebody for that. So where, how does this, well, let's get rid of the $600 a week. Now they're going back to work for $500 a week. So now instead of having 40 hours a week to do something, they're spending 40 hours a week earning a hundred dollars less than what they were doing, sitting on the, sitting on the couch or doing their side hustle or driving an Uber or any of the other things that they could have been doing productively. Now they're working at TJ Maxx or whatever. That's going to lay them off because it's only seasonal. And yeah, (laughs) there's so many problems that people aren't thinking about. And outside of communication, the biggest problem that I see is that number one, we're not communicating about it, but number two, we think that the answers are simple. Right. Because where's the ire on other corporations that got the handouts and the bailouts and all that? Exactly. How can, how can you sit here and, and yell about the welfare system and say that it was okay for uh, GM and okay for, I won't say Ford because they actually paid back. Um how, how can you how can you say that that's all right? Any kind of subsidies that are coming through here, that's not capitalism. You know, you, you hear people yelling about capitalism. We haven't been in a capitalistic society since before FDR and I, arguably not even before that, um, yeah. you know, purely capitalistic. But that's a whole other topic of conversation that that. Well, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just make one point about that, because I, I've often heard people. This is where I get 
conflicted on this idea of eradicating all government, which is that in the absence of leadership, leadership will be bestowed upon those who are the loudest and the mm-hmm. most uh, cult personality. And so what I think that we have had in this cap, you know, we talk about free market, this free market, that, but the reality of it is whether or not that was ever the intent, which is arguable, you just, you you know, look at when we've destabilized countries, what always happens, some warlord takes over, right? Okay. It's the same thing that happened here in America, except the warlords are corporations. You know, the market's not free because the second it's free, someone's going to take advantage of it. It's Correct. usually not someone you want to take advantage of it. And and they will dictate the course of it to maintain their power for as long as they're able to do so until some other warlord comes along and knocks them off. Well, there's there's problems of scale. And I don't necessarily have the answers and I won't pretend that I do. But it, there's a when you when you start thinking about scale you can say on a on a federal level i'm a libertarian on a state level i'm a republican on a local level i'm a democrat and on a familial level i'm a socialist and you look at that and say well that conf- that that's that's conflicting towards each other well yeah but when you start talking about scale things change you know yeah. when i'm talking about the the seven people that are in my house my wife my five kids and me we have a very socialistic aspect. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say let's be libertarian and let the inmates run the asylum. <laughs> no, it's it's very socialistic. We try to keep things happy. We help each other out. I take my income and I distribute it amongst the others and make sure that they are built up in order to live. Do I think that that can happen on a national level? No, I don't. I don't think it can happen on a national level or a global level, nor should it. Okay. Go into locally, local government. Yeah, there's a lot of democratic things that can happen locally that are really, really good where people can help each other out. You can have progressive ideals going through there. But if you take it out and expand it, even as far as the state is concerned, I think you run into some problems Um, so that we need to look at scale as we're going through this and and make sure that we're not trying to find a one size fits all answer because there isn't one. Um, and it's, it's really fucking complicated, which is why we haven't figured it out over the last 250 years of this experience, 270 years of this experiment that we've been sitting in. Um, well, and even if I may, even the idea of saying, you know, on a family level, you're socialist on a city level, you're Democrat on a state level, even that's overly simplistic. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, we, we communicate in the, in the best way possible, but, but the, but the point of all this is, is that the, these are complex ideas and they're not going to get resolved by picking a side and, and blindly following it. Things have to be worked through in accordance to whatever you're working through. And, and simply that there is no one size fits all answer to anything. And so all the tribalism gets very confusing and very um, really against what I think most people, I, I mean, I think people on both sides of all sides of all aisles, th- at, when you boil it down, when you have a beer with them, Right. Yep. They just want to have a happy life and they want to have a happy family and they want to try to do something with these short, very brief fleeting years as they can. And I think when most people, when you, I mean, now what that means to them may be vastly different, right? Some people want to be billionaires and some people just want to live out on the farm and everywhere in between. But at its core, I think we're all just looking for some humanity and some peace and some tranquility and happiness. And we have not built a society that promotes that. We have a society that promotes all kinds of other stuff that serve a very minute number of people. And 
and what it has what has it has led to over the years, and it, I feel like it has really ramped up in the last ten years, is this complete and total dissolution of understanding and seeing each other as one, seeing each other as part of a larger community, and 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 instead there's just these walls and these divisions and uh, these these attacks that occur that block us from ever finding those complex solutions because we're unwilling to, to give on, we have our, our, our um, philosophical beliefs and that's it. Line in the sand done. And, and if, and you're never going to, you're never going to find resolution there because these things are not so simple. You remember dead poet society? Of course. I love that movie. Fantastic movie. Um, there, there's a line where, where Robin Williams is, is they're they're the first uh, kind of like dinner and he's sitting up there at the head table with the other professors and uh, talking about how he's how he's teaching his class because the one professor you know comes in and they're they're standing up on the desk looking at things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And he says, "I'm trying to teach these kids how to how to be free thinkers." And he said, "Free thinkers at 17? Are you mad?" That's where we have gone, and I don't know when it started, but always uh, it's been there. We're not taught to think in school, and we're accepting the fact as children because we have. We trust those in authority, right? We trust our parents, mm-hmm. theoretically. We trust our teachers. And, and we go through and we think that they are teaching us everything that we need to know. And as you start looking at some of the, the, some of the public schools and some of the curriculums, the civics end of it has gone to the wayside. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And ironically, I sit here and look at it and say, hmm, the government schools are teaching you less and less about government and trying to trying to avoid the fact of telling you that the government is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And people don't even know that, hey, they're the ones working for me, not me working for them. Yeah, right. We talk about term limits, right? And I'm going off on a tangent here. Uh, people, you, you, I think it's something like 70% of the country think there should be term limits for, uh, uh, for people in Congress, for representatives, for senators, right? And I could be wrong on my statistics, but it's over 50%. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, let's be honest. Do you think that those people who it's going to negatively affect, the senators and the representatives, are going to put together a constitutional amendment to hurt themselves and their career? No, it's not going to happen ever. But guess what? You're the one who votes. So if those 70% of the people or 45% of the people, whatever it is, decide, hey, we're not going to vote for you after your second term, you have now created term limits. It doesn't have to be set in stone in the Constitution. You can do it with your vote. You can say, I'm not voting for you because you have already been in there twice. Right. Well, the problem with that is, of course, it it assumes that voting – has any any actual relevance and power, which it, it long since hasn't. And it also, you got to remind yourself, a lot of my political theory has been shaped by George Carlin, for better or for worse. Um, where do you think these politicians come from? They're us. You know, they're the Joel Rimbys of the world. They're the Davis Giros of the world. They're the, they're every, they're us. They come from all walks of life that we come from. They're the best that we have to offer. In summer, or at least, or at least that's his joke. But my my interpretation is, it's it's what we're ta- it's what we're putting up with, and we're making no deeper effort to be more involved 
and to be uh, to lead our lives in any better way than these politicians, right? We like we look at these politicians. We're like, oh, these what a scumbag. He's wants to keep us from having term limits. What are you doing in your life? That's as you know unscrupulous as that. You know uh, what what shortcuts are you are you taking? What uh what uh how many greedy things do you do every day? How do you treat your fellow person? You know, do you pass by the street when you see a homeless person and, and look the other direction so they don't see you? Are you the person, you know, like, uh, w- let's stop pretending, if we could just be honest with ourselves for a moment, let's stop pretending that these these politicians, as scummy as they may be, are are coming from some, spe- I mean, I know there are people who think they're reptilians, but but outside of those people, let's start, these folks are coming from the same walks of life that you are, and they're largely just an amplified version of the way most of us live our lives. So if we want to change government, if we want to change the idea uh, that that these people live by, we need to change the communities that they come from, right? And how do we change the communities that, that spawns these demon, you know, politicians, these whatever fill in ad hom attack that we want to give these guys. Where do you think these people come from? So if we're if we're allowing our smaller communities to be the same cesspool of greed and selfishness that they are as they are now, then then why do we expect that from this goo of hatred we're gonna we're gonna create something we're going to promote something we're going to spawn something that's going to lead us to a better lifestyle than the one that we're in now this is to some degree the world that we deserve fair point and that's why to me i guess and as i've gotten older it it feels like we've been attacking this all wrong right we're attacking this based on this external attack that we're hoping works but but like you said like the reason why you probably don't think socialism would work is because you know how people can be. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. There's a human element. Okay. Which is so, why capitalism doesn't work either, by the way. <laughs> right. In fact, I would argue that no political system has worked for the people. I mean, they do work. They work for those in, in power, right? But they don't work for, for the, the average Joe, so to speak. Was it Ben Franklin who said democracy is the worst form of government except for all the rest? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're terrible. So, so if we want that to change, it's not going to come at the point of a gun no. or the blade of a sword. It's going to come from changing the culture of our society, which is harder and harder to do every day, right? But it's changing that culture so that, the, that in the next generation, your kid, right? Maybe my future kid, maybe my niece and uh, nephew – those folks, young folks who are being raised in a different manner, who are being taught a different way to live, a more free thinking and a more um, empathetic way of living life. When those folks decide to become the politicians of the world, some of them are going to get corrupted along the way. Most of them will get corrupted around the way, but some will break through and, and start to elicit the kind of change that we're hoping to find. It may not and I don't suspect it's going to happen in you and I's lifetime. It may not even happen in our kids' lifetimes. But at some point, that is the trajectory that we need to undertake. Otherwise, we're just we're just fooling ourselves to believing that we're going to like force someone's. You know, it all ties back to what we said at the very beginning. You're not going to change someone's opinion with facts. Nope. And there's got to you know? be if you're going to change if you're going to change that level of the federal government, it's got to start small so that the people that are coming in as 
mayors, as city councilmen, as you know, township supervisors and whatnot are moving up into these bigger levels of government and bringing their ideals with them because there's got to be a tipping point. You got to hit that tipping point where you come in, man, you and I can both run for office and we can get elected in and come in as, as Senator of Texas and Senator of California. And there's 98 other senators there. And if we're the only two good ones, it doesn't mean shit. You're not going to change anything. You're going to either, you're either going to lose your seat very, very quickly. You're not going to accomplish anything. Uh, or if you start really, you know, causing some problems, you might wind up getting killed. You know, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And moreover, moreover, if you are coming from a background where you're just as bad or greedy or self-centered or, uh, tribalistic as those that you're seeking to usurp in power, then eventually you're just going to get corrupted by the system that that amplifies those innate characteristics within us, right? If we get into office and and we're just kind of coming from the same muck, right? That same selfishness, but we think we're right. We're the right ones. They're the wrong ones, right? We're going to get into office and we're going to become exactly like them. Yep. We're going to. We're just. just the, and we see it all the time. One of my biggest disappointments is AOC. And I'm sure that's going to get me in trouble, but whatever. Like when she was running, I thought it's a young person with fresh ideas, a lot of charisma, and a real grassroots movement behind her. And in a couple of short years, she's just um, Pelosi. No different. She's Hillary Clinton now. She's, she's not even Bernie Sanders. She's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and all, the, all that group. They're, they're just the same. Hell, even Bernie, you know, still shilling, shilling for the Democrats, you yep. know. So when you really look at even the people whom you think, and I, I do generally believe that Bernie Sanders is a very good-hearted person. I, I just, I, I just believe that to be the case. But I think that proves your point. One good person in a sea of shit doesn't make the shit sparkling water. No, you know, no. and I think. You got to start producing people that are good people, lots of people that are good people. And that means changing your small community and changing your start in your house, start in yourself, move to your house, move to your neighborhood, move to your block, move to your city and so on and so forth. And maybe like in 10 generations, we might finally have turned this damn ship around. We've got to understand that it's not going to turn around tomorrow, that it's a lot bigger than all of us. And we got to put the work in now and we're not going to see a positive outcome from it. We're not going to see the turnaround, but we got to put the fucking work in and get it done for them to see it coming through that way. Um, You know, I don't, yeah. (laughs) Well, and and to me, and to me, that's where, that's where for me personally, spirituality has, has uh, had a great, has been a great impact for me um, in the way that I, have tried to transform myself. And I, I, I'm not specific about any kind of spirituality. I think whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist, if you do magic, if you uh, Krishna, if you, it doesn't matter. I, I believe that if you find, because the one thing that I find that spirituality does, and, and I have a couple of friends who've gone through the AA, thir- you know, 12 steps. And, and mm-hmm. um, I, I, I have a lot of admiration for that. When you start to believe that there is something greater than yourself. Then it starts to form cracks in that selfishness, that rugged individualism, that, that, that atomization that is so prevalent in this world and in this country in particular. You start to realize that 
we're all part of something bigger, greater than that. And um, I know there's a lot of people who are anti-religion and what have you, and that's fair as well. But but I do think that finding something that you can believe in that is bigger than yourself and your own materialistic needs, that starts the path by which one can elevate themselves out of this current system that we're in, this mindset that we're in. But what happens too often is it's very easy for people to take spirituality and just commercialize it and make it part of the capitalist system and make it a way to become an influencer. And you, you, you strip it of everything that it has the ability to be because you're focused on how you can use that to elevate yourself rather than succumbing to that and allowing it to guide you on a better path of, of how to live. Yeah. Uh, and you can put a bow on it with, it goes back to you want to be happy now, or do you want to be happier later? Um, yeah. People take it and they say, how do I monetize it to be happy now? Um, rather than saying, let's roll with this and take the intrinsic value of it and become a better person, create a better society. And all the other things, they're going to come. They're going to mm -hmm. come. They're going to come in spades. Um, but we got to focus on making sure we're clean, making sure we're coming at things with clean hands, making sure that uh, we're leaving, leaving it better than we found it. And if you yeah. need to start with the bathroom, do that. Leave the bathroom better than you found it. And then you can take it out to the house, you know, and, and you can expand it to leaving this world better than you found it. But hell, even if you just make the bathroom better than you found it, that's part of the world. And you're yeah. making the world aggregately better. Exactly. And what better, what better, more virtualistic uh, goal could we strive for than that? You know, to have some positive impact in the world. And like you said, leave it just a little bit better than we found it. I think that's the most simplest of lessons that one can impart upon young folks and remind ourselves as we become older folks and, and hopefully remember when we're old folks. But, but that's really what it kind of boils down to. Just leave it a little bit better than you found it. Yeah. And if everyone does that, I think we'll see a marked difference in the, the way this society presents itself. Agreed. Well, Joel, uh, man, thank you very yeah. much. I, I often say ad nauseum that these conversations can just go on forever because they can, because they're just, that that's, there's so much more to say that can't be encompassed in like an hour and a half hour and 50 minutes. Um, but I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your insight. I want to thank you for, for doing your part in the world and raising your brood to be free thinkers and communicators and people who are understanding. And if nothing else, hopefully you can use this episode to impart upon them their need to clean the bathroom. Cause I'm sure it needs some touch-ups and, uh, and you could, you could, you could phrase it, you could frame it as making the world a better place. So That's right, it's man. a win-win for everyone. I may try that <laughs> it's a pleasure, right, as always. It's been too long. Likewise. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Extending my thanks to Joel once again for being such a gracious host. And, uh, you know, sometimes this podcast just serves as a way for me to connect with old friends. And this was no exception to that. In fact, it proves the rule. I, I really enjoyed our time together. And again, I've said it many times. I could have kept on talking. I almost thought about making this a two-parter. Uh, but as such as life, we, we all have uh, adult responsibilities to get to. And so I didn't want to take up too much of Joel's time. So thank you, Joel, for extending his ability to chat a little bit longer than than usual uh and thank you for all the insight and the perspective and the civility in expressing one's opinions 
one of the things that I, if you follow me on social media, you know that I'm very passionate about is that we oftentimes, it's very common oftentimes for folks to present themselves as experts or um, influencers in policy and morality. And I think it's important that we take a step back and, and, you know, if we learned anything from the lessons that Joel teaches his kids, it's that sometimes we need to examine why certain people are bad and then ask ourselves if maybe we're doing some of the same behaviors. It doesn't mean it, it, gives, it offers excuses for bad behaviors. Quite the contrary. I think it helps us stay more accountable to ourselves for when we maybe step out of line and become, for lack of a better phrase, the bad guys. Too often what I see online is that people hold them their own selves up to this like, as the vanguards of morality. And then when anyone makes a mistake or says something they don't agree with, or perhaps something requires more nuance and it isn't expressed perfectly online, they seek that as an opportunity to pounce and to tear someone down and to hurl, hurl insults or ad hom attacks. And, you know, that kind of stuff, it may be presented as being some sort of a you know, morality uh, protector, but it's not. It's it's terrible behavior. It's asshole behavior, frankly. So when you see people uh, on the internet or, or in real life who are presenting themselves as these sort of teachers or influencers or people that you should follow and you should you should hold in high regard. Look at their behavior. Look at the way they treat the people whom they disagree with, because that will tell you a lot about what kind of person they are. And I think it oftentimes exposes the fact that a lot of people out there in this world that are presenting themselves as having the answers for all of life's quandaries, many of them are just assholes looking to get money from you. And that's the reality of it, or claim, or clout, or whatever else. So, so be diligent uh, with whom you surround yourself with. By all means, surround yourself with people with differencing opinions of you. Sometimes even surround yourself with people who have unpopular opinions that may differ from you. Because it's through that civil discourse that we're able to expand our own minds, challenge our own beliefs, and break out of the laziness that our brain is preconditioned to exist in. That is the only way for us to be able to elevate ourselves and to be honest with ourselves and to seek truth in in life and in our interactions. Uh, but that being all said, I want to thank Joel because he's awesome. He's an awesome guy. He's a smart guy. He's out there doing good work uh, as a lawyer. Uh, and I, I commend him for chasing his dream. And I thank you all for tuning in. I think there's a plane going overhead, but that's okay. It adds a little, a little style, a little flavor to this podcast. And uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, if you celebrate that, or however you celebrate it. Um, it's always good to give thanks every once in a while, even if you need a yearly reminder. Hopefully it's not the last time you do so. But thank you all once again. I appreciate your time. Love you all. Thank you so much. And until next time, gold rings on you all.